reading from John, chapter 16, verses 5 to 16. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. This is the word of the Lord. There's not many passages in the Bible that fully explain, in fact there are none that explain the concept of the Trinity. But we have throughout Scripture this idea that that God is made up of Father, Son and Spirit. Right back in Genesis, we even in that stage see the sense of the Spirit hovering over the water. So we have this idea that the Spirit has existed for all time. So we have Father, Son and Spirit. And um, as I say, today is Trinity Sunday and that's what we are remembering and celebrating. Father, Son and Spirit, but all three in one blessed Trinity. How on earth can God be three in one and one in three? And we don't fully understand it. It's really hard to have images that truly explain how the Trinity operates and functions, Father, Son and Spirit. Sometimes there's been one illustration is that of water, which can be water, ice or steam. But it can't be all three at the same time. So we can see three personalities and three characteristics, water, ice and steam. But actually it doesn't hold together simultaneously as as all those three things. It has the potential of all those three things, but they don't hang together all at the same time. And so that's why it is quite complex. So I'm not going to spend the whole day talking about how to understand the Trinity because it is very, very complex. But today is an opportunity to recognise that there is something very special, something very unique in the Christian faith about the way we see God. That we see God as three in one, not as three gods. Some religions have several gods. We have one God who is three in one. And that's something to celebrate because it's something very, very special. And it shapes our faith. Because right at the heart of who God is, there is community. God is community, Father, Son and Spirit. How they all hang together, I don't know. But he is three in one. And if he is community, how we live our lives should be in community. And that should be at the heart of who we are and our faith. I want to show you a picture 
This is an icon. If we could have it up, that would be really... This is um, by a, a Russian painter called Rublev. You may well have seen it. It's Rublev's icon. And it was actually drawn to illustrate the hospitality of Abraham. So back in Genesis, we have the story of Abraham being visited by three strangers. And Middle Eastern tradition is that you offer hospitality, no matter who comes, no matter how much you have, you offer the best of what you have. And these three visitors, three angels, visited Abraham, and he had them sit, and he served them, and they ate. And so that is actually what it's called. It's the hospitality of Abraham. But people have realized that Rublev meant more than that. That was ostensibly what he was painting. But how it could also be understood and how Christians from then after have seen this icon is as a representation of the Trinity, the three in one. So it was painted in 1411. And as I say, it shows these three heavenly visitors sitting at a table. But what Rublev is doing in in this deeper meaning is he's depicting the three as one Lord. So in the painting, and it's quite hard to see, you need to look at it close by, each one of them is holding a rod. And that's showing that they're all equal. No one of them is more important than the other. And if we think of this as the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit, no aspect of that is more important than the other. They are all equal together. They're each wearing a cloak of blue. And blue was a colour that... um, demonstrated divinity. So artists used the colour blue to show that they were divine. So all three are divine. Jesus is divine. The Spirit is divine. God the Father is divine. They all share a divinity. And the faces are all exactly the same. The way that they are sat around the table, they're all looking to the other. So on each face, they're turned and looking at the other. Again, it's to show this idea that they all need each other, that no one is more important. We don't have the father centrally in the middle with his two less important son and spirit. We have them together, all looking to one another, all needing one another. They don't exist without each other, dependent on one another, father, son and spirit. It doesn't totally explain how it all happens, but it's a beautiful image to help us remember that sense of community in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Others have looked at this picture and said, that's fantastic. There's a space at the front as well. And as people have looked at this painting, they've seen themselves drawn into it as well. It's almost as if the artist has left a space Because if God is community, he welcomes us into that community as well. And as we look at the painting, the space for us to meet with God, Father, Son and Spirit. Our spiritual writer Henri Nouwen wrote this about this picture. He says, the more we look at this holy image with the eyes of faith, the more we come to realize that it's painted not as a lovely decoration for a convent church, nor as a helpful explanation of a difficult doctrine, but as a holy place to enter and stay within. As we place ourselves in front of this icon in prayer, we come to experience a gentle invitation to participate in the intimate conversation that is taking place among the three divine angels and to join them around the table. 
The movement from the Father toward the Son and the movement of both Son and Spirit towards the Father become a movement in which the one who prays is lifted up and held secure. We come to see with our inner eyes that all engagements in this world can bear fruit only when they take place within this divine circle, the house of perfect love. We have something unique about the Christian faith, that God is community, is relationship, and we are invited to join into that relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. No other religion has that. We take part and find our place within the relationship that God has amongst himself. And that is truly precious. And if at the heart of our faith is community, how we live with one another should reflect that. We come together as individuals. We all go home to our own places. We have our own lives or we are all individuals. But we should have that sense of community in belonging here with one another. And that's what I want to look at today. What it looks like a little bit more about us living together in community. But I want to take that at a very basic level because we can't be community if we don't know one another. This Sunday is different. It's a fifth Sunday, so there's no pattern and I can do whatever I like, so that's fantastic. (laughs) So I'm not doing very much. I thought it was an amazing opportunity to hear from other people Because our church is growing and changing and developing and more people are coming along and we don't know one another. And we try and create opportunities, there's coffee afterwards, but the the chances are we talk to the people we already know. It's hard to get to know one another. And so today we're going to hear from three groups of people because they've got stories to tell, stories to share with us, which is really exciting and will inspire our own faith. But it's also an opportunity for us to get to know them better. And you'll see why we've picked the various people. I'd love to do this more and more. So if you've got a story to tell, do tell me. Because, you know, in the weeks to come, we want to know one another. We want to hear from one another because we are community together. So to do more of this would be so wonderful. I'm going to start with um, Sarah Jo and Nick. They'd like to come forward. Sarah Jo has taken on the role of church warden. So she's now been doing it for about a month, three weeks a month. And was officially licensed last week. So, it's really good to get to know the new church warden. And of course, she comes with Nick. And Nick's part of her life. And Sarah Jo is only Sarah Jo because of Nick. And so Nick's here as well. So, Sarah Jo, do you want to say a little bit about how you've got to this point of saying yes to being church warden? I guess for me, um, I've been coming to church now for uh, 16 years. Um, Wanish Church um, is my first and only church that I've ever known. I grew up in a non-Christian family, so I didn't grow up knowing God. I didn't grow up going to church. And it was really only when we we used to live in Berkeley Green. Uh, We moved into Wanish four years ago. And it was really when we moved into Berkeley Green, our eldest son, uh, Thomas, at the time was um, just a toddler, and um, I just sort of really felt uh, just a, a sort of a need, I suppose. There was just sort of something missing. So I just sort of said to Nick that, you know, I think we need to find a, a church. And so we did a little bit of exploring and uh, God led us here. At the time, Thomas was at um, Wanish Nursery School and I met Sean Hodges 
Thomas became very friendly with um, Mike and Sean's son, Matthew. And uh, she mentioned that um, we had a great children's uh, work going on here. So, uh, so we came along and found out a little bit more, came with Thomas. And it was really from, from then we, we sort of started to just gradually get more and more involved. And uh, we decided uh, Charlotte came along in 2000, Millennium Baby. And uh, we decided that we'd like to get the children baptized here. And at that point, um, I'd never, I hadn't been baptized myself as a child. So um, I had a word with uh, Jeff Watley at the time, the vicar here. And um, I decided to get myself baptized and had a wonderful service here and was baptized and confirmed here, uh, which was really, really special. And then just gradually just started to sort of just, you know, develop my faith, did an Alpha course. We hosted a Christianity Explored at, uh, at our house. And, yeah, just sort of gradually just, you know, it's just been an amazing journey, really. You know, just thank God for bringing, bringing me here, bringing us here as a family. And, you know, it's just um, such a, a big part now of our family. You know, the children have, have always come to the children's groups. They're still actively involved. Um, in their groups so yeah we just really feel you know part of the of the family here so you know when I was approached to be um, church warden I just really felt you know really privileged and you know I just sort of thank God for this opportunity and uh, I'm really looking forward to to serving you all here Nick, would you like to share anything? Well, just, just a little bit. So. It, it, it is lovely how the world just sort of goes round. I, I've actually, I've been working in the city for the last 20 years, and I'm, I'm just in a sort of crossroads and a change in my life, and I'm, I'm looking for a, a new role, and I had a phone call on Saturday, and things may happen, may not happen. But anyhow, it's, it's, it's really wonderful. But because I've had a little bit of time off, I mean, I, I went to uh, Sarah Jo's service on uh, last Thursday at... Cranley, and it was so lovely because Jeff Watley was there. He wasn't going to be there, but, but somebody, um, one of the wardens, needed to go to that service, so Jeff went to it as well, and we caught up with Jeff again. And, you know, Jeff, Jeff um, was a real influence from us at the beginning, and it really started our, our church life. And I think, you know, when we started off, it was just a question of coming on Sundays and gradually building up, and then we had the children's groups. Um, and then I... I always sort of really remember it is I was cutting the grass one day and um, I got this urge I've got to go to this Sunday service so, and I'd never been to a Sunday service before but anyhow the evening service the Sunday evening service so that's you know that just moved things on and that was just slightly different from the 10 o'clock service and that was really lovely and that, that really moved on um, and then you know a few years later it was joining a home group and that has been wonderful for me over the last couple of years it is, it, is, it is a journey, and it is a family, and um, it's, it, it feels right being here. So um, that's, that's it. Thank you. Sarah Jo Nick, thank you so much. And it just shows how God does move in our lives, you know, from small beginnings to gentle journeys to 
in, you know, intervening in different ways and being part of the community, as Sarah Jo and Nick have both said, has been in, invaluable to them, having a base here for God to then be able to work through them and to take them to different places and for both of them now on new stages of their journey. So you have our prayers um, for all the aspects of your lives. But um, we're particularly grateful to Sarah Jo for, for taking on this role. I'm going to ask Meyer to come forward now as well. Meyer has been a member of the church. Well, she can tell us how long for when she comes forward. But Meyer has um, struggled with illness. And it's an illness that isn't always very easy to understand. And so Meyer wanted to use this opportunity today because this month is the month of publicity about your particular condition. And so it seemed a, an amazing opportunity for that. Do you want to explain a little bit about but it's one of the aspects of uh, what we suffer from, we can't stand, <laughs> like normal people. Um, I and my two daughters suffer from a rare genetic illness called Ehlers-Danlos, or EDS for short. And I thought I'd just start off, Rob has kindly sort of cobbled, <laughs> just cobbled together, just a very short video, just explaining a bit about it, and then I'll just talk a bit more about us. I have a chronic pain disease called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It's a connected tissue disorder that's caused by a defect in the way my body produces collagen. If you don't know, collagen is the stuff that, well, basically holds your entire body together. Without that, you get loose, unstable joints, severe bruising, heart disease, flat feet and painful walking, velvety smooth skin that stretches, tears and is painful to touch, severe headaches, low muscle tone, severe muscle weakness, and chronic widespread pain. There is no cure, and the treatment is supportive at best. There are disorders of certain proteins in the body called the connective tissue matrix proteins. These are the proteins that are responsible for giving strength to the body. And it forms the basis of ligaments and bone and tendon and muscle. The protein molecule is altered by virtue of this genetic defect and it weakens it. So what used to be rigid, tough, strong becomes stretchy, more fragile gone into the fact that there are flare-ups with EDS so it's very very cyclical and up and down so it's like a roller coaster EDS like you can be really really good and like walking even sometimes without a cane I can I can walk longer distances without a cane and be healthy and doing yoga and all that stuff but then I can be down well shit at the bottom of the ocean where I am stuck in bed and I can't move and I'm having spasms and it's hard to put on a happy face like this We know also about the autonomic nervous system. That's the part of the nervous system that controls things that we don't normally think about or control, like the blood pressure and the pulse and all these, these mechanisms that one takes for granted because you're, they normally look after themselves. In autonomic dysfunction, they don't automatically look after themselves and you get problems of dizziness and faintness and fainting all sorts of things that can 
that can happen and, and need treatment. There are some who are even on TPN, which is when you are fed from a tube into your heart because of complete gastro failure. Thank you. I hope that just explains a, a little bit about it. It's a very complex um, disorder and there are uh, different types of uh, EDS as well, including vascular, which is fatal, and uh, many die at a young age of that. And there's a lot of crossover between the different types and you're never quite sure the doctors don't even know what that crossover is with you. So they really don't know what's going to happen to the individual and how how the illness will develop. Um, I've been ill for 30 years, but I was only diagnosed six years ago because it's, it's very um, uh, misdiagnosed and, and misunderstood. Um, but at least that meant that when our girls started to become ill more and more, the doctors were aware of what I had and they were quickly diagnosed and put on um, the relevant drugs. We have so many drugs between us that we have to take. My daughter, uh, elder daughter, went to Canada recently where uh, she's able to be a bit better because the climate was a bit better for her. But her friend was shocked when she opened a drawer and saw this whole drawer full of drugs. And she said, just what is the matter with you? <laughs> so we're constantly having to make sure we have enough drugs just to keep us going. But it was very devastating for, for them, and it was heartbreaking for Rob and I when we found that they'd got it too. And they'd been very sports-loving girls, and they had to give up all their favourite sports, ski racing that they were both very good at. Rhiannon even rode for Durham when she was at uni for a while, and the last year she was so severely ill and she had to give up everything and very nearly didn't get a degree. But our biggest problem is the problems with our autonomic nervous system. That is so variable. Basically, that part of us that you don't think about that that controls your blood pressure, your heart rate, uh, your temperature, everything doesn't work properly with us. And we can even, as a result, get stroke-like episodes, which I've had more and more of over the years and had to be hospitalized. And it can be very frightening for people around you, even hospital staff who don't know what's going on. And you're not able to communicate because you can't speak, you can't walk, you can't move, and your body is shutting down and they're desperately, desperately trying to stabilise you. I'm very grateful that Debbie's given us the opportunity to just talk a little bit about it because it's so unheard of. They have very little money and there's virtually no money that goes into research and so the future is pretty bleak for people who have Ehlers-Danlos. And so we're just trying to do our bit, as it's been the Awareness Month, to make a few more people aware about it. And uh, afterwards, um, my wonderful friends in my home group, who I could not manage without. I really, really couldn't. And I'm trying not to cry here because they have been going over the years. 
They have been so supportive. This church has been wonderful. Debbie herself has been wonderful and prayed with me. And talking about the Holy Spirit this morning really made me think, if it hadn't been for God, I don't believe I'd still be here. And our family would be so much worse. But he has brought so much joy into our lives that despite this illness, we have so much laughter. My church friends are a great part of that. And they often pick up the pieces for me. And are there even in home groups, sometimes I'm not able to communicate and I'm lying down and I look more dead than alive. And they're all getting the coffees and having a laugh and doing the Bible readings. And they're all brilliant. So there is a little sale afterwards that they helped me put together. We've made some cards, we've got some confectionery, just to try and raise a few funds for Ellis Danlis. So that would be great if you could support that. And I'd just like to finish, if I could, with a little prayer that somehow links in with what Debbie was saying. And really, it is that Holy Spirit who every day I have learned to depend on. And the one good thing about this illness, for me, it has made me totally dependent on the Lord. I could not get up each day if I didn't totally hand over to him and ask for his strength and his help. And he pours that into me each day for whatever I need to do. So I'd like to finish with that. Lord, thank you that whether we are at our lowest ebb or facing great trials and challenges or just facing the ordinary struggles of life, we can still find strength and energy in the Lord our God. Amen. Mara, thank you so much, and for that honesty as well. There's something about being community where we come as we are. If you're flat out, unable to communicate, you can still host a home group, and people can come and just be with you. There's a risk that we put on masks and, fa- and we pretend we're somebody we're not. This needs to be a place where we come as we are, no matter what is going on. We've heard too lots of people talk about home groups. If you're not in a home group and think, wow, that sounds amazing, do talk to me afterwards because these are places where we can get to know a smaller group of people better. It is hard to know everybody in a church, but you can know a group of eight to ten people much better. You can be more honest in that space. So if that's something that already you're thinking, well, I'd like to find out more about that, do have a chat with me afterwards. Chat to Kia. Colin's not here, but um, Colin Matthews and Kia are looking after home groups at the moment. So be in touch with them through the week. We'd love to help you find a place to belong. And we're going to hear now from Sarah and Adam. Sarah and Adam moved in um, about six weeks ago, I think, and we met them briefly then. And they've got longer opportunity just to, to share with us something of their journey. Thank you. Debbie's asked us just to share a little bit of our story, and in particular how we ended up in Wanish, which, when we came to think about it, is quite a long story. Um, so we're going to just try and give you some pitted highlights.
And I say that, that song's very special to us. It's quite embarrassing, actually. Um, when Adam and I first met, and we were very passionate young little Christians, thinking we were about to change the world, um, we used to go for drives in Adam's car and um, snog for a bit, and then um, <laughs> listen to worship music. And, um, we, God really spoke to us very powerfully through that song. And the line, there must be more than this, and Lord, have your way with us, was really our prayer. We didn't want to just be living a normal suburban life that is just fairly boring we wanted to be people that God would really use powerfully so it's really nice for us to have the reminder um, this morning that he's hopefully continuing to do that. Adam and I met again embarrassingly at Spring Harvest Christian Conference uh, 11 years ago I worked for Spring Harvest as a youth work coordinator and Adam actually approached me um, loosely to apply for a job he got the job (laughs) <laughs> nothing to do with me, I must add. Um, and we ended up working together for Spring Harvest in France, both as children's and youth workers there. And that was a really formative time for both of us in many, many ways. And there are many chapters of that story that I'm sure we'll get to share with you over the years. But for me, it was in particular um, a moment where God really spoke into my life as to who he wanted me to be, what my identity in him would be. I received two prophecies from people I didn't know during working in France. The first, a lady approached me during worship and said, I'd really like to pray for you. Would that be okay? Well, yeah, sure. And she said she felt that God had told her uh, I would have the spirit of um, the princess in the story of baby Moses upon me, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, who rescues Moses from the river and raises him up as her son to know what it is to be the son of the king. And she wanted to pray over me that I would have that spirit of finding lost children and bringing them into the house of the king and raising them up to know what it was to be the son of the king. And she said, can I ask what your name is so that I may pray? I said, well, my name's Sarah. And she was kind of taken aback by this because for all you Hebrew scholars will know, um, Sarah is the Hebrew word for princess. And she was able to pray that over me, feeling confident that that was God's call for me. A week later, and another random lady came and said, may I pray for you? I said, yeah, sure, this is, this is getting good. Yeah, I'll have whatever you've got. And she said, I really feel the Lord say that I should pray for you, that you would have the spirit of Abraham's wife, Sarah, upon you. And she uh, felt that God was saying that I would be a similar way, a mother of nations. Not necessarily that I'd have hundreds of my own children, but that God would use me to raise up children to be part of his kingdom. What's your name? May I pray for you? (laughs) My name's Sarah. Okay, it's going to be a theme. So uh, for me at that point, just after meeting and and getting together with Adam, God was confirming in me who he wanted me to be. And fast forward to two years ago, We cut out a lot of the story to get to where we are. Asma and I found ourselves leading a fresh expression service in our church in Essex, which really began to feel like God was moving us into the direction of ministry and leadership. We'd felt a call on our lives for a long time. Feeling a need to be equipped, I think, we decided, well, we were sent by a church to the HGB Leadership Conference in the Albert Hall, and um, we had an unexpectedly, surprisingly powerful encounter with God there. Over to Adam. We had a great time, um, but whilst we were there, poor Sarah, you were struggling with a headache, weren't you? Yeah. Um, so we thought, well, here we are, HDB have some healing rooms over the road, um, we'll go over and you got some prayer, didn't you, for your headache? Mm-hmm. But there's a side story to that, which is while I was there, sitting around the side waiting uh, while Sarah's prayed for, this young student chap came up to me and said, can I draw you a prophetic picture? Follow me. I was like, 
okay, we'll go with this, we'll go with this. And we went over into the corner of the room and there was a desk and he had some crayons and he just sat and we, we just prayed very quietly for a moment and he drew a picture. And I've got a copy of it here. It's a picture of a mountainside with a lake in the foreground and a horizon. And he explained that this was a picture from the Lord of the Rings. Okay, now, <laughs> I'm one of these types, I've, I don't know about Lord of the Rings, I've never watched it, never read the book. But my wife here is a fanatic, um, <laughs> and, and you were able to explain a little bit more um, about what the picture meant. Yeah, so the, the picture is a scene from the film where the Fellowship of the Ring, this, this group of people, are on a journey. And they're climbing up the mountainside, they're heading to Mordor, and the journey ahead of them is very difficult. They can't yet see over the, the horizon, but the camera pans back and reveals to us, the viewer, that the journey is, is miles long, and it's very treacherous, Mordor is very far in the distance. They can't yet see it from their position on the mountain, but as the camera pans back, we see the view. And this is the picture of, of that scene. Mm. So I, I took it as encouragement. I, I must admit, I didn't fully understand it at the time, having not seen the film, but I went with it and I thought, well, that, that's lovely, something a little bit different from the Lord, and I'll take that with me. And it just felt a little bit generic, didn't it, <laughs> to be honest with you? Anyway, fast forward another six weeks or so, and I was um, at work, and um, I suddenly saw in, in my lunch break on Twitter that an airline, a well-known airline in the UK, was recruiting uh, new cadet pilots. Now... I don't know if it's been mentioned, but I, I love planes. I love aviation. I've always, always wanted to fly. And even though um, my life has taken me in, in various ways from, from, from being a child, I've always, always had this deep, deep-rooted passion um, to fly as an airline pilot. Never been interested in military. All I've wanted to do is fly tubes with wings with passengers um, through the sky on their holidays and their business trips. And this opportunity came up to apply for a cadet scheme. And to my... Utter surprise, I kept on getting invited back for the interviews, passing the tests. But there was a bit of a catch. We had children, we had a mortgage, we, we had jobs, which it would have been risky to have uh, given up. And this training was going to take 18 months to complete if I accepted it, of which 11 months was going to be in New Zealand, the other side of the world. Um, Accommodation would have been provided for me, but not for, unfortunately, Sarah and the boys. So we had a huge decision on our hands. Do, do we accept that, or, or do we just um, say, well, thank you, but, but no thank you? We had a deep peace about it, didn't we? It seems slightly mad looking back about it now, but we had a deep, deep peace that for some reason um, God was leaving us in this direction and he was blessing us. And we decided to accept it. Crazy, but we did it. <laughs> and... Um, what happened next, Sarah? Well, Adam went away for a year to New Zealand. Ben, at the time, was not yet two. Joe was two, nearly three. And Daddy went away in a plane, didn't he? Yes. So for a long time. Yes. It okay, boring. It was boring. It was a bit boring, I have to admit. So Adam was away for six months with us back in the UK. Um, and then we went out to join him for a few months um, in New Zealand. It was a really hard time, but we felt really led by God and blessed by him and carried by him through that journey. Um, and being apart was less difficult than we thought it would be, wasn't it, yes. in the end? And then we had a lovely trip on the plane to see Daddy, didn't we? Yes. But what really, really reassured us was the realisation when we sort of all returned from New Zealand that this journey hadn't just been our mad, mad plan, but actually had been in God's hand the whole time. 
Adam had been doing most of his training, flying his planes over the scene in which The Lord of the Rings was filmed. This is a photo Adam took of that sketch from his cockpit window as he did his training. And it dawned on us, not only had God been preparing us that there was a rough ride ahead, but that he had it in his hands, but he'd even given us a nod and a wink and a hint to where we'd be going. He drew, he drew a picture of the mountains over which Adam would fly. We were just really, really encouraged that God not only was leading us in this path, but, but knew the future and had made a way for us. And that was something that really kind of reassured us. As Adam came back to the UK, we knew we were going to have to leave Essex, leave our church, leave our community, leave nursery for the boys, um, leave my ministry position in the church and find a new place where God hopefully would be establishing us. And that was quite daunting. Not least of all, we'd, we'd planted roots, we'd built ourselves a home and we were really seeing God work through the ministry I was involved with there. But we had this picture. He'd drawn us New Zealand before it was even on the cards. And so that we knew that everything else would be in place. And as it turns out, when we discovered that Adam was going to be posted to Gatwick, we were so excited to see the position here for Director of of Youth Ministry Advertised because so many of the things we needed to tick off our list of things to find were met in this place. And the advert of the job just seemed to have God's fingerprints all over it. Um, So we just feel really excited that we feel definitely led to be here, part of this church and this community, and somewhere that we can, we can make our happy home together. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had some fantastic news this week. Um, for those who have been praying for our eldest, Joe, who's due to start school in September, um, we've just found out that he now has a place in the school here at Wanish and Samley Green, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's just the last piece of the jigsaw coming together and we feel totally blessed. And we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone and to all of you who's made us feel feel so welcome um, in in the few weeks that we've been here. We've just been blown away at how at home we already feel here. And it's been great to get to know so many new faces. And the love and the welcome that you shared with us has been very special. Thank you. interview people you don't know the whole backstory and this has unfolded and isn't isn't God amazing that that our journey took us to the point of looking for a director of youth and children's ministry and it matched with your journey after we um, I made the phone call to Sarah and she said yes she said you know can we come back with the boys and I had the privilege of taking them around the house to show the boys the happy together home that they'd been praying for and they had had a countdown calendar that matched almost exactly to the date where they moved in to the Happy Together home. So this isn't just a job. This is a home, it's a church, it's a school, it's a life, it's a ministry. It's everything coming together. And um, it's just so exciting. Our journey started with a, a tentative, do we think we can do this? Can we buy a house? Should we go for it? And look what God has done. Isn't that just phenomenal? Sarah starts part-time tomorrow. Yeah. And then we'll go full-time in September. It's a really good way as a family for them to be established to do this you know, journey of, of before running full tilt into it. So we've planned it this way. But as of tomorrow, she will be working half-time. And it would be good to pray for them all as a family at this moment. So could you please all stand? Father God, we thank you so much for your hand on these journeys, that you have brought our journey here as a church 
to match with the journey that Sarah and Adam and Joe and Ben have been on. We thank you for your provision. And we pray now at this point that you would bless them as a family. Bless them in their life amongst us. First and foremost, they are here as your children. But will you continue to bless them as they become part of our fellowship? And we pray that you would anoint Sarah with all that she needs for the task that you have ahead for her in the role that you have called her to. May we honour her. May we not ask too much of her. May we offer all that we have that she needs. And may she be equipped to do your task. We don't know where that journey is going, but we know that you have called her here to work amongst us, to do your work amongst us. And may she always be open to hearing your voice. Commission her, Lord. Bless her and anoint her. In Jesus' name. Amen.